Hello and welcome to In Her Lens Season 3 Climate and Film. Welcome to this podcast that is dedicated entirely to amplifying the work and stories of underrepresented voices in film and television. My name is Nadine and I am your host. And for the third season of this podcast, I chose to look more deeply at where film and entertainment finds itself in the fight against climate change. Not only looking at the medium as a tool for change, but also critically at its production models and its footprint. This is part two of getting to know the nonprofit consultancy Good Energy Stories. Good Energy supports TV and film creators in telling stories that are honestly reflecting the world of climate crisis that we all live in. In the last episode, you met the director of strategy at Good Energy, Bruno Almedo Crioga. And in this episode, I am welcoming their Climate Lens fellow, Aisha Nieta Brown. Aisha Nieta, who uses she, her pronouns, is a creative storyteller, climate justice advocate, and disability justice activist. She is a Gen Z climate advisor at Climate Mental Health Network. Her art is influenced by texture and a sensory understanding of the environment in which we inhabit. Aisha Nieta is a multidisciplinary justice seeker and has been doing climate work since the age of 17. Her work has taken her around the world and back, making her more passionate about advocating for the greater good, specifically more vulnerable BIPOC, disabled and children populations. In this episode, you'll get to know Aisha Nieta's journey towards intersectional work. We talk about the power of narrative and how her multitude of passions manifest into the roles that she holds today. We discuss her work with the Climate Mental Health Network and what she brings to Good Energy Stories. Now, since our conversation last year, Aisha Nieta has moved up in the company from Climate Lens Fellow to Social Media Manager. I hope that you'll enjoy hearing her beautiful, impressive words. Here is Aisha Nieta Brown on In Her Lens. Welcome to In Her Lens. We are going to start off with doing four like seasonal inspired questions uh, as like a quick fire to get to know you a little bit better. So the first one is inspired by spring. What is the first thing that you do when you wake up in the morning? Oh, Um, so when I wake up, I actually will hop on my phone, but not for the reasons that you think. I meditate. So I use the Calm app and um I'll listen to usually the first meditation that it shows in the morning um and I think they're really good to like um put my headspace in the right place for the day and then after I do a meditation I'll probably um choose to fall back asleep and that's why I go oh because <laughs> I just love sleeping so like I'll meditate get in the right headspace go back to sleep maybe for a couple of minutes then wake up that Fully. sounds like a good good morning routine, though. Um, a summer-inspired question. Would you, or if you could, choose any artist, alive or past, that you would see live tonight, who would you choose? Like a musical artist? Any artist. Any concert or performance. I think only under the condition that I could, like, 
go to dinner with them afterwards. Let's I would add it. <laughs> probably pick Josephine Baker um, because she just seemed to have a really incredible life and a really incredible or Eartha Kit. One of the two. Um, one of the two. Um, I, I love love those two. I think that that's a great, great choice, both of them. Autumn is a short question. Coffee or tea? Tea. Tea. And Winter, do you have an affirmation or a resounding word that you carry with you? Um, yeah, so actually I have, and this might be like a bit of a longer answer. So I have this jar of like oh. positive things that like people in my life, like my grandma or my mom have written me. So let's just see what the jar says. I love this. <laughs> okay. I, this is the best answer. Not okay, cheating. Okay, here it comes. <laughs> I'm nervous. <laughs> so proud of you. <laughs> I think this is a great one, especially in this moment. I'm proud of us for showing up. I'm proud of us for having this conversation. And being proud of oneself is a really, really integral part yeah, of it. Yeah, it really is. So yeah, these are little... That's wonderful. Grandma and Ma affirmations that I <laughs> pull from. <laughs> Thank you so much for making the time and joining this space. I'm so happy to have you. You are not even a jack of all trades. I would say you're a winner of all of them. You're a multi-talented storyteller, researcher, climate, race, and disability advocate. You really have what can be called a transdisciplinary perspective. And I came across you and your work while researching the work of Good Energy, which is who we're going to talk about later um, and why we're chatting today. So just to start off, let's get to know you a little bit. Where were you born? What was your home life like? And do you remember the first discipline in school that you really connected with? Yeah. So I was born and raised in um, the Blue Ridge Mountain area of Virginia, so Appala Appalachia, Appalachia people, there's discrepancy on how people pronounce it, um, in a town called Roanoke, Virginia. Um, it's also known as the Star City of the South. I don't know if that's a good thing. Oh, wow. <laughs> there's, a, <laughs> there's a star on top of the mountain um, that like lights up at night, um, which was like at first a Christmas tradition, but people liked it so much it just stuck um and um my home life growing up was actually pretty chaotic um I I grew up in a household with a lot of domestic violence unfortunately and um that was really difficult and um you know to this day as an adult I still have things that I'm working through but at the same time I had um a lot of structure within within the chaos. Um, and I had luckily a lot of really good people around me that encouraged me, um, other relatives. And, um, when I was 11, we got out of that situation. So I, I guess 11 is still pretty young to be, um, out of a situation like that. And when I was really young, I guess the first subject that I connected with in school would probably be history, I would say. I really, I really like history. And um, fun fact, me and my, my sibling had little obsessions when we were like toddlers of different periods of time. And his was ancient Egypt and mine was ancient China. 
That's cool, though. Um, I always find it interesting when it comes to history. I feel like a lot of creative people are very interested in history, and that might be a huge generalization I'm making there. But I also really loved history. And I think there is something in like the storytelling culture that goes to, like, to that kind of reflection. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, but thank you for sharing. Um, so you chose at first to study the fine arts. What led you to that field? And how did you find higher academia in that route? I mean, art, even before that art was really big, um, my dad uh, does photography and did always had a camera in his hand growing up, um, taking pictures. And and um, from his pictures, he would then... Um, take big canvases and do pastel drawings of what he saw. Yeah. And so um, sometimes I forget that fact about me. I'm like, wait. (laughs) Yeah. So there would be lots of really pretty drawings throughout the house that were from, from him um, and from his photography. Um, So um, yeah. And I, I explored my own hand at fine arts. And by the time I was graduating high school, I got a scholarship for fine arts to, you know, get like an associate's degree. And I thought that was cool. So I was like, I guess I'm going to do fine arts. It wasn't really, there wasn't a huge deal of thought behind it. Um, um, Resources are a little bit limited when it comes to like getting an associate's degree in terms of what subject matter you can study. So fine arts was the closest to performing arts. And I was like, I'll do that one. Um, and so I think it's really interesting because you find yourself at such an interesting intersection of loving the arts and also being really interested and dedicated to sustainability and climate change and climate action. Um, where did that come from? Do you remember your first moment of connecting life and humanity and climate? Yeah. So I guess like in the mix of, um, relating all of these things together I think that started when I was 17 and I had this really unique opportunity um, that was funded by the State Department to study in South Africa at the University of Pretoria where um, we were looking at different communities and how those communities sort of reflect our own communities um, at home and looking at geospatial technologies and and cartography and mapping and that sort of thing. I remember um, one of the professors, uh, this was like the very first day, asked me, um, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because, you know, that's what you ask kids. And I was like, you know, I've been thinking about it. And I think I'd like to combine, you know, this climate, this climate stuff with like a creative field or like with music or with film and I got the most weird like bizarre look they were like what is she talking about and um so that's where that that idea I feel like fully came to being concrete which which now was almost 10 years ago so why did you choose to start study studying sustainability because you got a you got a bachelor's in that my focus was specifically within the sustainability um climate change in society. So what drew me to that was, you know, I guess my experience in South Africa was uh, what do I know something about that I could go into academia with? And so climate change seemed like 
the most applicable answer. Um, and it just seemed like if I was going to do something with my life that had to be a part of it, um, there's really a lot of different careers that you can go into, but everything else that had nothing to do with sustainability or the greater good of an entire planet that we have to live on seemed meaningless to me. And so I selected, I selected that because I mean, you know, prior to, to all of that, I, I got rejected from music school yeah. three times. <laughs> so I, I tried my hand at other things mm-hmm. first and that was the first time that um, it sort of clicked. Mm-hmm. I, I would say those are the the things that make the person, right? That Yeah. <laughs> I also have been rejected for, sure. for many things. And it is all like leading to something that fits, right? So you have training in a creative uh, aspect. You have a creative intuition. Um, but you also have this other side of you that is the true technical study of climate change. Where do you see that bridge between the two? And how have you built a bridge between the two? Right. Um, yeah. So I guess, uh, finding opportunities to connect the two or creating opportunities for yourself, um, to connect the two. Um, for example, one of my internships, um, which took place in Germany, um, was studying urban living labs. And, um, I was thinking about sort of digital tool design and that's kind of creative um, combined with a hard science. Um, Some things like with good energy, um, you kind of have to have that uh, sustainable or climatic background and like knowledge of like what is going on and have a really firm grasp of that to even be able to apply it to a story, to, to even apply that climate lens to that story, right? So what what opportunities already exist? And then maybe putting a little bit of that, that creativity into it. Um, I'm also working on a um, sound meditation series that connects us back to earth and talks about us being a part of earth and, and what that means in a meditative and emotionally um, mindful way. So that's another way. There's just different different ways that you can implement that that connection. Yeah, because one of the things that I've noticed, whether it's in conversation with people or whether it's looking at films or stories that are being told, is um, climate conversation that is being had either in the news cycle or in published uh, research is very technically based. And maybe the gap that exists between creating story and the research that's being done is the language used. Do you have any opinions on navigating the language differences between people and uh, science? Yeah, the language is very not accessible for most people, which is, I think, a big part of where a disconnect comes from with people. Um, even in my internship and in some of my work, um, I've been told to, like, in my writing, like, make it less flowery and and make it more, like, fact, 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 big word, fact. When you use creative, flowery, um, loud language, it speaks 
greater volumes to your listener, no matter if it's in an academic setting or if it's in a, a film setting or a music setting, um, language matters. And I think academia should um, sort of just use more normal language when, when they're writing these things and or have a, a section where they sort of summarize it in a more accessible way, especially with climate science, because it impacts us all. Right, right. And I think that that's a one really big part and really important part of this conversation is accessibility, right? Um, what is your experience of accessibility, um, knowing what you know, and living in the world that you live? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess accessibility, in a general sense, the world isn't necessarily the most accessible, there's systems in place that make so many different things harder. Um, you know, my background, I, I have a disability, I'm neurodivergent. And so I've experienced a lot of hurdles in terms of just like simple things being really challenging. Like, like if I'm on a Zoom call and I need like the captions turned on, or if I have like a long, like paper to read, like a scientific paper, like it would be helpful to have a tool to like, like if I get through like, you know, the first 10 pages, like maybe the rest I can like have a reader you know, reading it through and tools like that cost money, which it's like, okay, well, that's not accessible unless you're like, you know, you have that, that, that resource to tap into. And it's a similar thing with climate when it comes to like climate mitigation or climate migration. Um, you know, what tools do you have at your disposal? What is it at easy access to you? Is it going to be easy for you to move from your coastal area that you live at? Or is it going to be super challenging and take a lot of resources that you don't have? Um, so I think that's an interesting, um, accessibility is an interesting overlap into, into um, climate, climate change and climate studies. Um, how long have you been working with Good Energy? And will you tell us what's good energy does for the listeners who don't know <laughs> yeah so i have i have been with good energy for about six months and um it's been a wonderful experience so far i started off as a fellow and now i'm doing social media managing and working within the library of experts and sort of uh organizing that a little bit more and Good Energy itself is a story consultancy for the age of climate change. And so we will consult on projects. Projects can come to us, um, that sort of thing. Um, script reviews, feedback, um, and or we can come in at a very early stage and sort of guide, like, if you're trying to incorporate climate into your story, like, what what the, that the best way that could look could be done um, or we'll come in sort of later into a project and sort of do sensitivity reads. Um, there's a whole lot that, that we do. I think it's fascinating, which is why I really wanted to talk to you because, and you're at this really exciting part of your career. And um, 
you started as a climate lens fellow. What Good Energy does is so fascinating to me because it's really, and I've it's come up in a lot of other conversations in this in this season, is getting climate into the story, right? As soon as possible and not waiting till you're on a set to start implying, or al- I mean, you should always start implying sustainable practices, but how do we get it on screen as much as we're doing it off screen? Life imitates art, art imitates life, whatever the cycle is. Um, you, yeah, you're fr- when you first started Good Energy, you were a Climate Lens Fellow. What did that entail? What does that mean? It's a beautiful title. <laughs> yeah, getting, I guess, like, getting getting a grip on like what good energy really is the ins and outs of it and also just just how to um apply how to see things through a climate lens which is where I sort of already was but in in a good energy way so there's a spectrum that we talk about a lot um of what the climate lens is you can frame it as a mention a placement world um And so really getting my grip on that, watching how workshops worked and how we talk about that lens in our case studies and to potential clients and, um, and also just taking on things that, that needed to be taken on, like the library of experts. So yeah, what, what is, what is that exactly? (laughs) So, (laughs) right. Our library of experts is just sort of like a categorized list of, um, experts in, in different fields. So like technology, activism, advocacy, um, writers, um, (laughs) marine biology, uh, fires, water, that sort of thing. Um, and so like, for example, if a project were to come to us and one of their main narratives is, you know, uh, a marine biologist that that is focused on this very specific thing about the ocean or the life within it. Um, maybe some of us who are like consulting aren't actually experts in that, right? So we'll then pull in an expert and they will then give them details. We'll do a research brief together and, um, and sort it out that way. Okay, cool. I think it will be fun to maybe go take it, take it through a, a, a hypothetical workflow. Let's say I, um, I have an idea. I would like to create a, um, I'm going to keep it very local. I live in the Netherlands. We are underneath the sea level. I would like to create a short film about um, our hydro system here overflowing or a dam breaking or something like that. That's the idea that I have. Let's say I came to Good Story and I was like, I don't know how to develop this. I don't know where to go. How would you approach a project that is that small? Um, Where would you go with that? And how would you properly research as a maker? Like what advice would you give me as a director or a screenwriter in getting accurate climate into your story. Yeah. So for, from, from me, I would probably ask like, what is the main thing that you want your audience to take away from this story? Um, I would need to know things like, is this scripted? Is it documentary style? Um, And what are your overall goals um, outside of like the audience takeaway? Um, Once I like establish that, you know, I would then um, 
figure out like is there a script do you want sensitivity reads that sort of thing for the listener Um, who doesn't know what a sensitivity read is what is a sensitivity read I guess just like reviewing a script or yeah a script to make sure that there's nothing in there that's like uh offensive to uh, an audience member or like not politically correct um or not factually correct um you know there's some fact checking that goes into that as well and then I guess it would just it back to your project it would depend on what what your ultimate goals are with the project and how closely do you work with the makers that that are um is it really like is it once in a while is it a weekly meeting what is what's that relationship like with people that you're consulting with are on we do like make a schedule Mm -hmm. and um it depends on the needs of of the client Mm -hmm. yeah definitely what are ways in which we can incorporate climate into story if you were writing something now, what are like some elements that you think are you can't forget that we're forgetting? How would you write about climate right now? Yeah. yeah. What is your perspective on that? Yeah. So I've actually been working on a children's show for a little while and um, it's a climate related children's show. And my first thing is bringing it to the level of the audience that you plan to target I don't like the word target, but, (laughs) um, and then injecting it with humor and care and something that I think a lot of, of films over the past, since like 2000 to like now have always been like this, this, uh, storyline of doomism and fear and panic and climate is like any other story because it it does impact and affect our every day. I think humor is a big thing that we overlook in the climate. Like, it's not funny that like the earth could possibly like burn up and like, that's not what I'm saying. But like, there are funny little moments that are climate related that could be a whole story, a whole movie, a whole film, a whole children's show. Um, it's, it's finding ways to re- relate climate in your real world connecting the dots and then applying that to like a story if you're a writer or a director or whatever the case may be people always think talking about climate is going to scare people off there are movies about murder what are you talking about (laughs) there are movies about like serial killers i don't like that sort of thing but that's that is scary and it exists and somehow people aren't completely like turned away from it right what what do you think that is that there are so many films and tv shows with truly horrific things like human to human yet when it comes to the climate crisis it's too scary to talk about well well i think there's where where does that dissonance happen i think there's a lot of intersections that that need confronting that people have to come to terms with and there's this great reckoning that people like sort of refuse to have um especially because there's a lot of um colonial history that goes into this the speediness of climate change and how fast that that the anthropocene is sort of happening and and it's undeniable and a lot of that is linked to a colonial history, which I think scares people to, to, to hold accountability for something 
as tremendous as a topic like colonization. Um, there's also a, a reckoning with like things like, I mean, capitalism and colonialism, they go hand in hand. So it's these really deep rooted systems that are all really, 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 really tied up with this current topic of climate change that requires a emotional, social, economic reckoning that is very intimidating for people who lack self-awareness, right? And, and, and are scared to get to know themselves. And I say this because I've done a lot of work on myself and I have had a moment when I was young where I was like, oh, if I just don't face it, it'll be fine. But like, you have to face every deep rooted issue that you're dealing with in order to overcome the biggest thing. And I feel like climate change is a hundred percent that thing for a lot of people and a lot of um, big entities like governments and, and, and corporations and the plastic industry and clothing. Like, yeah, it's just this whole thing where if you refuse to handle these smaller things as they come, it turns into this big snowball and, Ironically, the snowball is climate change. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. And that's what I find so fascinating about about this conversation is is all of that. Because that is it, the sad thing and also the understandable thing about the difficulty that people are having. Because why are people not writing about it? Is it while you're writing about it that you're realizing, oh, I am a part of it and that is scary to look in the face? You also work with the climate, um, I have to say this correctly, Climate Mental Health Network. <laughs> yeah. And you have this fantastic title called Gen Z Climate Advisor. <laughs> what does that mean? And um, yeah, I mean, youth and climate and the future, it's uh, its where all the change is coming from, the, that generation at the moment, I think, really the driving forces um in in that fight um how does that relate to your work with the climate mental health network um yeah so i think um there's a lot of really good work happening intergenerationally um i feel like a lot of people put put the gen z thing to the forefront and it can feel like a lot of pressure um but um so climate mental health network we develop resources uh that support specifically youth mental health um, and how it's tied to climate change and how how a lot of young people are starting to grow up feeling very anxious and uneasy and sad about the future that of a life and and mourning a life that they thought they might live but but no longer see that as a possibility because of climate change and so developing resources like the sound meditations that'll be through Climate Mental Health Network and um, we're utilizing a grant from Lush to help along with that, creating resources for parents on how to talk to youth about climate change. And, you know, I am not like a psychologist. I'm not a professional in that field, but I do care. And we do have a board of actual psychologists that we pull from when developing these things and these resources so that it's not willy-nilly sort of (laughs) silly goose stuff coming out of people who aren't uh, technically professionals. What are some works that you're looking at right now or um, 
artist or filmmaker say you're interested in that you would advise people to check out? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, okay, so for film, I would love Jordan Peele to <laughs> to do some of his magic um, in a storyline that injects climate. I, I was thinking about this when I kind of started my good energy job officially. Um, we had like a brainstorming cluster and there was something and I was like, what if it was like... Um, like futurism um, mixed with like, like there is a story, a climate narrative happening. And I think Jordan Peele has this really interesting way of telling a story that is really engaging and nothing that I've ever, not a second of any of the, the media that I've consumed from him has been boring. And what's funny is he also is a comedian. So I think, funny people have a funny way of telling serious stories and I would really like for him I'd like to see him um do something like that yeah I think that that's a great note if he <laughs> will ever listen to this probably race. not I don't know <laughs> let's hope maybe you'll never know no I'm just um thank you so much for being a part of this conversation I'm really inspired by uh by all the things that you do. Um, my last question is for you. What is something that you look forward to Oh my this goodness. Year? Yeah, so the biggest thing that I'm looking forward to this year is I'm going to be in Germany again for a month and I get to study with um, my old PI and I get to study something of my choosing. So it's going to be arts and culture for a whole month and I Wonderful. am looking forward to end up honing in on and and finding I'm hoping to um understand how other storytellers in different countries are specifically in Germany are telling their stories and and how I can contribute to the institute there so that's the biggest thing that I'm most excited for this year thank you so much I it was lovely to meet you and talk to you of course thank you so much for having me Thank you so much for being a part of this season, Aisha Nieta. I've linked her works, previous talks, and social media right here in the episode notes for you all. Also, I've linked Good Energy and the Climate Mental Health Network. If you have any thoughts or feedback, or if there's anyone you think I should talk to, make sure to send us an email at inherlenspodcast at gmail.com, or you can join us on Instagram at inherlenspodcast. I'll see you next Tuesday with a brand new episode. Until then, stay safe and take care of yourself. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye.